This is The Mudroom, on Common Sense Parenting Classes with Alana Robinson, parenting effectiveness coach and child behavior strategist. Weekly nuggets of developmentally appropriate parenting wisdom to help you parent your toddlers and preschoolers more effectively with less effort. The Mudroom is recorded live on Facebook every Tuesday at 9 p.m. Eastern and 6 p.m. Pacific. Now, here's Alana. Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Mudroom, our weekly free and live Uncommon Sense Parenting class. If you're new around here, welcome. My name is Alana Robinson, and I'm a parenting effectiveness coach and child behavior strategist. I help parents of infants, toddlers, and preschoolers understand why their kids are misbehaving and how to fix it without yelling, shaming, or using timeouts. I am obviously the host of The Mudroom. I have a membership program called the Brain Skills Play Blueprint, and I'm also the host of a free peer support Facebook group called The Parenting Posse. So tonight, I'd like to talk about how to handle disagreement between yourself and your child's teacher, be that a daycare provider, preschool teacher, kindergarten teacher. In lots of areas, schools has already started. We haven't yet. My oldest son is starting junior kindergarten, or we call it pre-maternelle because he's going to French immersion. And I'm going to have to start flexing these muscles myself. And you're probably thinking, well, if you've never done this, because I'm pretty open about the fact that my kids don't go to daycare or preschool on a consistent basis, how the heck do you have any insight into this? And while you'd be right, with my own kids, I haven't had to do much of this yet. I have had lots of experience doing it with other people's kids because when I was an early interventionist, I was often accompanying children to preschool, community programs, kindergarten. So mom often wasn't there. I was her proxy. And I was the one having to negotiate these things on a daily basis. So I do have a little bit of practice. So the first thing to do when you notice that something is happening that you aren't okay with, be that a discipline method, homework practices, academic pressure, academic creep, lack of responsibility for your child, whatever it is, define it to yourself first. What is it about what is going down that you're okay with? And what aspects of it are you not okay with? Write it down. Get really clear on that with yourself. And also acknowledge that you may not have all the information correct. We often get info secondhand from our kids. So if you aren't sure about something, note that. Get everything straight in your mind first. Second is to gather your resources. I find when dealing with professionals, doesn't matter if it's a teacher, a doctor, a lawyer, whatever, I get taken a lot more seriously when I come with concrete examples of why I'm concerned. So that might mean that you've got to get together some peer-reviewed research. That might mean reading some books. That might mean consulting with other professionals. This is why when parents are concerned about autism red flags in their children, I always direct them to the MCHAT questionnaire and tell them to print it off and bring it into their doctor. Because a doctor is going to take you a lot more seriously if you have something concrete to back up your concern. Doesn't mean that it's right. I wish doctors would always believe their patients, but they will often write off mothers especially as being overprotective. So having something tangible to back you up is worth its weight in gold. Same thing when talking to teachers and principals. Having concrete resources highlighted and flagged to back you up means you'll be taken a lot more serious and not just as some overprotective wackadoo. 
in my own recent experience, my oldest is a November baby. So he was technically supposed to start school last year, but I chose to redshirt him and start him this year instead. So while I was emailing with the principal to make it clear that he was to be enrolled in junior kindergarten, she was insisting that he has to stay with his earth year cohort because they like kids to fit in a box. But when I actually went to meet with her, I brought a copy of the law that protects the right of children with late birthdays to stay back a year. I brought a study that was done by another school board in our province about the effect of late year babies starting school too early. I brought another study about the gap between boys and girls when starting school, especially because I have a boy. So when she started in on, oh, he'll be fine and dismissing me, I was able to pull out my resources and say, I disagree and here's why. And it went no further than that. Once she skimmed my resources, the conversation changed dramatically. The third step is to define what your ideal solution is and then accept that you likely will not get that 100%. Figure out, again, where you're willing to compromise and what is really that important to you and why. Because this is going to be a negotiation. People who work with hordes of children have systems and processes to make that task simpler for them, which is fair. Everybody has systems that they use to simplify their lives, and heaven knows anyone working with lots of little kids needs to simplify or else it all goes to hell in a handbasket. And here you are asking them to change those to an extent. So you're likely not going to get it executed exactly how you'd like it. Coming to terms with that now will help you focus better during the actual meeting. Now, fourth is to make an appointment with the parties concerned to discuss the issue. This is where you're going to present everything you've prepared beforehand. What's bothering you, why, with your resources, and your ideal solution. And then you have to actually listen to their side. Most teachers really love kids, but not all of them have thought critically about why they do what they do. For many teachers, They inherited resources and processes from teachers that they took over from. And, you know, this is the way it's always been done. So that's how they do it. So some may really actually be open to what you're talking about. Some may have a really good reason for doing things the way they are. And once you hear it, you may totally change your perspective. Some may be totally blindsided and need time to read your resources and meet back up with you in a week or two. Try and finish the meeting no matter whether it's a pause or a finality, with action steps. And own the meeting. You called it. You have to facilitate it. It's unfair to call a teacher into a meeting and then expect her to run it. They're not the one with the issue. You are. So you have to run it. Have your agenda, move through it, and try to leave on a high note. Hey, Cindy. So a few tips. First is express appreciation for your child's teacher often, not just when there's a problem. Being in charge of a group of young children is exceptionally difficult. It's something I have less than zero desire to do. People often like really encourage me because they know my background. They want me to open a preschool and there's only two preschools in my area. And I ran a day home in Alberta for exactly four months when I finished my degree in early childhood development and all my friends went off and started working in daycares. I hightailed it into early intervention because I really hate focusing on more than one child than I have hands. So I like to get to know a kid really well and focus really deeply on them. My brain can't handle 30 kids in a room with me. So I have a 
deep appreciation for those who can. Say thank you and say it often. Just like kids, you want to catch them being good. When they do something that you appreciate, tell them. Give your child's teacher a heads up before you jump in whole hog with the big meeting. Okay, send her an email and ask her side first or his side first. It may be something that can be easily resolved, but you're not going to know. And you don't know if it can be resolved that quickly if you don't ask. Assume confidence. I know this is hard. I found it really hard because I often knew what I was talking about when it came to behavior management, more so than the teachers I was working with because they'd had one or two courses doing their teaching degree on behavior management and I'd been living and breathing it for 10 years and counting. But really try and assume your teacher knows what she's talking about until proven otherwise. You will rarely win friends by going in with the attitude that your child's teacher is a basic idiot. Your beliefs affect your expectations, which are reflected in your actions, and color your results. So if you believe your child's teacher is competent, you're going to expect competence, and you'll get results in line with that. If you believe your child's teacher is a moron, you're likely going to expect incompetence, and your behavior in your meeting will reflect that, and you're going to get less than stellar results. Lead with a competent mindset. Help. Volunteer. Provide resources, whether they're physical things, money, or time. This is another reason having your peer-reviewed resources is so important. Because going in and saying, I read that blah, 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 then forces your teacher, if she has any hope in hell of validating or negating your concern, to go do research, probably on her own time, on the topic. Versus... If you show up having done the research and she just has to read it, well, that's a much smaller ask. And again, don't just do this when you have an issue. Do it year round. If you're implementing strategies for me, send her the blog post in an email with some excerpts that you feel are particularly important. I've had a lot of people be like, why do you have a blog, a video, and a podcast that all say the exact same thing? I do that on purpose because everyone learns differently. If you send someone a blog post from me, they can read it. They can listen to it on the podcast in their car while they commute. They can watch it while making dinner. People are busy. (laughs) If you're trying to get someone to do something for you, remove as much friction as possible. Do as much of the prep work as you can for them. And they're much more likely to work with you. And above all else, keep it respectful. Check your tone your eyes, and your body language. This is also really hard for me because when I get stressed or when I'm thinking, I tend to look up at the ceiling without even really noticing it, and it's often read as rolling my eyes. So I have to be very conscious of keeping my eyes front and center when I'm feeling stressed or, you know, closing my eyes instead to, like, break eye contact and give myself a rest. I have to consciously open my stance. I'm one of those people that when you piss me off, the first thing I do is cross my arms and lean away from you. Is this, do you want to talk to me when I'm sitting like this? No. So I've taken so many meetings where before we start, I take my hands, I put them on either side of my paper, and I challenge myself to keep them there because it's incredible how much more productive a meeting is when I have an open stance versus like all closed up and being removed. So it is possible to have a respectful, collaborative relationship with your child's teacher. 
even if you disagree. And you are the expert on your child, so never feel intimidated about bringing whatever is bothering with you up. It's a relationship, just like any other relationship. You need to keep the lines of communication open or it breaks down. Don't bottle shit up. Talk to them about it. And most of the time, you'll be able to come to a mutually acceptable agreement. And modeling for your child how to do that, like that you cannot like the way that someone is doing something and still be civil and work out something that everyone can live with, is a really valuable lesson. They're watching us. About two weeks ago, about two weeks ago, I took both my kids to the park and my oldest, Logan, was kind of horsing around and being a little bit rough and tumble on a piece of playground equipment. And a woman kind of barked at him to watch himself because her daughter, who was much smaller than him, was on the same platform. And he stopped and he looked at her and he said, I see what you're worried about, but please don't talk to me like that. He's four. Now, he's not always that self-possessed, but the fact that it came out of his mouth at the time like had me floored. They watch us and they learn. And even if you really hate someone's guts, there is very little that pisses someone off more than being unbelievably polite to them when they're being a snot. Like it generally brings people up short. They're like, ooh, okay. You want to channel Michelle Obama. They go low, we go high. All right. Hey, Meg. Meg says, yes, this is exactly what I preach too. Right on, girl. Hey, Jennifer. Hey, Danielle. All right. So I meant for that to be short, but I apparently had a lot to say on the subject. And I didn't spend the whole time coughing. Yay! So solidarity to anyone who has a baby starting school this year. I can't decide if I'm excited or petrified. We're so used to doing our own thing over here with me working from home that this amount of structure that is about to be imposed is a bit terrifying for me. We'll get through it. So will you. So thanks for hanging out with me. And I will see you next week for another Mudroom. Bye. You've been listening to The Mudroom, Uncommon Sense Parenting Classes with Alana Robinson. If you like what you just heard, remember to join us every Tuesday evening at 9 p.m. Eastern and 6 p.m. Pacific on Facebook. And don't forget to rate, subscribe, share, and connect with us on social. This has been an Alana Robinson Family Services production.